Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 1? We have come to verse 6. The first Greek word in verse 6 is agenito. Now what that means, that's a word that belongs to time. Previously, we have been in a realm outside of time, beyond time. The realm of God, it cannot be described, it's indescribable. And we focused on the term word, logos. And the one who is the second of the Trinity, he is God the Son. Because he is God who accommodates himself to time and space and is the creator. We'll learn more about him as now John brings us into time. Okay? This is where I belong in the realm of time. It's where you belong. And we studied how this one, this God, God the Son, who comes forth from the Godhead and is the Godhead bodily, as we see in one of Paul's letters, demonstrates great power to create the universe and all that's in it, time and space. And time begins. Time continues and the universe begins and it continues until God at the appointed time in his purpose decides to move it along in another fashion, a new heaven, a new earth. But for now, John, and let me say this, I'm going to move ahead a little bit and point out why John writes this gospel. At the very last of his gospel, in what, chapter 21, whatever, he says, there's no way that all that Christ did, and this is in three years of ministry, that all that Jesus did could be contained in books that could be written. Previous to that, just before that, up a, up, up a bit, John says, I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that in believing, you might have life in his name. So this is the gospel. Everything that we read then, we back up to where we are. Everything has to do in John's gospel, as it does all the way through the Bible, but we're in John's gospel. And John makes it very clear that this is the divinely inspired gospel of Jesus Christ through the hand of John. And John says, everything that I've written in this book is so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that Believing in his name, that you might have life in his name. His name. 
that helps us to understand the purpose for which all of these things are written from the Holy Spirit via John's pen. So now again, again, there came, there came, that, that's a Greek word and it's a phrase in the English that brings us into time. The purpose of God, the power of the Christ, the pre-existent Christ as we've already seen, who according to Paul's letter to the Philippians, he laid aside his glory. It's hard, it's difficult to understand, but he laid that aside and he became a man. At this point, the Christ of God has accommodated himself to his creation to accomplish the will of the Father. In John chapter 6, we will see what the will of the Father is. We're not there yet. <laughs> there came a man, having been sent from God. It's in the perfect middle that having been sent in uh, Abstoliminus, that Greek compound word. It means that something that happened that was settled in the perfect, it was settled and it will always have results. It's this thing that happened, it will always have results. And in the middle, it means that uh, the sender, God, not only initiated the action, but participates in the action. Now this is important. It's all, what's not important? God himself, according to the language, accompanies those whom he has sent. He has accommodated himself out from however you can identify the realm of the existence of God, which is, is beyond us. We cannot describe it. There's no limits to it. How can we think of something like that? But God, through great condescension, has accommodated himself, and this is God the Son. Now, John's gospel zooms through time to the banks of the Jordan River, where preached one who is called John the Baptist. In time. Now, of all, of all that the Holy Spirit could have said through John the Beloved, of all of the people he could have identified to begin this gospel, the end of which tells us that the purpose of this gospel is so that all who will read this will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing in his name you would have life. In his name that you'd live, that you would believe in Jesus. Jesus, what he's done for us that could never be done in and of ourselves. So the Holy Spirit for us in this study just takes us right to the Jordan River. 
There came a man having been sent from God. The language teaches us that the power of God accompanies the man of God when he is performing and executing the will and call of God in his life. So there's never a wasted message. There's never a wasted sermon. I'm reminded of a, it was some famous preacher in, back in the 18th century, I think, and he felt compelled strongly to go into this logging camp in early America and to preach the gospel because there were dozens and scores of loggers who were there, it was a very active camp, and he went in there and nobody was there. As far as he could tell, he just knew he had to preach. So he got in the kitchen area and he just preached. And he walked away. Now this is what the man wrote in his account, his record of his ministry. As he was leaving, someone who was hiding from him in the kitchen, afraid that he had come there up to no good, came running out of the kitchen as this man was getting on his horse to leave and begged the preacher to tell him how he might be saved. The point, there's, there's never a wasted message. There may be a dozen, there may be half a dozen, there may be thousands present. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that the man sent from God does what God has sent him to do. And when that happens, in the perfect middle, <laughs> God is with him. The one who initiated it is participating in it. Can't, you can't squirm from the language. That's what it means. Great encouragement. For one who will do and focus on what he's called to do and sent to do. So when John brings us out of, out of the realm of the preexistent Christ into the realm of time and, in, and into the reality of creation as we know it, he zooms past everything and takes us, the Holy Spirit takes us right to a particular man. There came a man having been sent from God. His name was John. This is John the Baptist. John the Apostle, John the Gospel writer, never refers to himself as John. He calls himself the one whom Christ loved. Four of the times in his gospel, the name of John is mentioned at least, I think four times. But it is always linked to Simon, Simon Barjona, Simon the son of John. That's Peter. Peter's father was named John. 
All the other times that the name is used, it is always used in those other times of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Now look at it. There came a man. So we're, we're right, we're zoomed past everything. All the way past Moses and the prophets and the kings. We're all the way here to the banks of the Jordan River. And we're immediately, when we're brought out of the pre-existent realm of the pre-existent Christ. And when he brings us into time and space... The first thing and the most important thing in the Gospel of John that is prioritized is that we are brought to be introduced to a man sent from God in time. A man. There came. This is not a divine being. He's a man. He's a created man. There came a man. So then we're taught immediately that God in time and in his creation is directly involved with those whom he would call and send and empower to do what God had purposed that man to do, in this case, John the Baptist. Having been sent from God, his name was John. Now, John is a unique character in all of the scriptures. In one person, he is the, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets and in a sense, the first of the New Testament preachers. He is the transition, he's sort of a link between the two. He was prophesied in, in Isaiah, voice in the wilderness, crying in the wilderness. It was prophesied in Malachi, one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. So he was prophesied in the Old Testament, and he's the only one who was given this privilege. Jesus in Matthew 11 said, greatest man born of woman, John the Baptist. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that he, of all the people who will ever live, who have ever lived, who will ever live, only John was given the unique privilege of introducing the Christ of God to the world. Nobody else. You know about John the Baptist and his ministry, his preparatory ministry. John the Baptist, by his preaching, was preaching Repentance and the coming king and his coming kingdom. And his baptism is called the baptism of John. It's not Christian baptism, it's the baptism of John. Jews were being baptized by John. And through that baptism, they were confessing that they just weren't ready. They weren't ready for the Christ, the Messiah. And yet he was, he was about to come and be introduced and so in his cry, John says, I'm not worthy to be in his presence, to tie up his shoelaces. He is before me. He has, he's preexistent. And you're not ready for him. And we need to make way. We need to make way for him. We need to, 
We need to fill up the holes and knock down the high places and clean up the avenues and highways because the king is coming. He needs a straight, smooth path right to where he's coming. So the people were coming by the multitudes and they were being baptized by John in the Jordan River. And it cannot be denied that John was the harbinger, the, the forerunner of the Christ of God. Only one man would have that ministry, and that was John the Baptist. So when the Holy Spirit brings us out of the realm of the, existent of, of the existence of God, a realm that we cannot understand. And then, through God the Son, brings us into time and space. The first thing he wants to say is, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. Well, what, what about it? So what, what, what was this prayer? Here it is. He came for a witness. Now, do you see the word witness is a noun? Witness can be a verb. But in this case, in the text, it's a noun. So if it's a noun, the preposition would be translated for and not as. So he came for a message. He came for a witness, this was his job. This is the essence. This is why the Holy Spirit of God brings us right to John the Baptist, bypasses everything else. Because the essence, the paradigm, the model of Christian ministry is for us to come for a message. We are message bearers. So this is, this, is how, this is how God brings us right to where we need to be. He came for a witness. Now this is a courtroom word. When you use it like that as a noun, it's a courtroom word. Evidence that's presented that demands, that demands a verdict. This is what we do without, without really realizing it. We proclaim Christ. We testify to the Son of the living God. More on that as we go through this, but to reflect upon it just now, as Christians, we bring forth evidence. It's truth, it's courtroom truth. It comes from the gospel, it comes from the blessed, holy, precious Word of God. And we bring forth truth. This is the evidence of truth. Now, it is evidence that demands a verdict. One of two things will always happen. Those who are in darkness will come to the light or they remain in darkness. That's beyond our power. Our power is to come for a witness, is to come for a message, is to come as message bearers. He came for a witness. 
Why? That he might testify. Now that word becomes a verb. Okay. The form of that word now, it's the same word in the Greek, the root word, but now it's a verb instead of a noun. So as surely as we are message bearers, we bear the message. The essence of who we are. He came for a witness that he might testify concerning the light. Back to Genesis 1. This is the New Testament. John 1 is the New Testament expanded version and translation of Genesis 1. There was emptiness and darkness and void and nothingness was on the face of the tehom, the, the, the Hebrew, the, the, the deep. And God said, so in the face of all of that darkness and nothingness and confusion and stuff, primordial whatever, soup, I don't know, that really, that really existed in this sense of uselessness and confusion with no purpose it would seem. You remember though the term, the phrase conceptual polarity? It's difficult to understand how precious the light is unless you've experienced the darkness. And you can contrast the two. So now against all of this is the logos, the word, and God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw the light that it was good. God separated light from darkness. The light he called day and the darkness he called night. On the first day, right at the beginning of the thing, darkness was dispelled and cursed because darkness is not good. Light is good. God himself, before there was a man, but God at that moment, at the beginning of the time-space continuum, established the standard of righteousness and unrighteousness. Light and darkness, day and night. Throughout the course of time, within the creative beings of, of humankind, those within the human race, all born into darkness, some would come into the light. It is a thing of the power of God because at the very outset it said God separated light from darkness. Don't ask me to explain all that. just a God thing. Now let's come to the New Testament. A witness. That he might testify, that he might witness, that he might testify concerning the light. Light. What is it? 186,000 miles per second. It's, it's, the, it's the basis of, of energy. It's the light from the sun is what generates power 
for planet Earth, it's a tremendous thing. There's also spiritual light. And like physical light, where there is light, there is no darkness. For the light dispels the darkness. Now this is again the essence of the Christian ministry. For the world to understand that apart from the light we are in darkness. Spiritual darkness. We have no hope. We're in darkness regardless of what we may create within our minds or invent for ourselves. We're lost. We're helpless. We're in darkness and we are bound for finally the outer darkness. Which is... The second death of the lake of fire itself. Unless the light comes into our lives and shines on us. That he might testify concerning the light. The light shines, what happens? The light of the gospel shines, and here's what happens. Who we really are is revealed to ourselves. There's no good thing in us. Our thoughts are evil. Left to ourselves without the power of the Holy Spirit being implanted in our lives, our actions are, spirit, are, are, are dark and lost and evil. We're dead spiritually dead in trespassing we don't know God we don't seek after God that's what Paul says to the Romans nobody seeks after God nobody all have sinned and come short of the glory of God left to ourselves in the human race we're in darkness we will stay there unless the grace of God intervenes in our lives he came to testify concerning the light that all might believe through him little h this is not a reference to Jesus this is a reference to John the Baptist this is a reference to the minister of the gospel this is a reference to the one who preaches he wants everybody to be saved he preaches the same gospel message to all of those who are unsaved. The light of the gospel. The light shines. And the light that shines reveals to us the horror of our lostness. The horror of living in darkness. I heard an illustration once from a preacher that said it's like a person who lived in an underground basement dungeon all of his life and that was all he knew and he would walk around and in his walking he would crunch around and he would feel things that felt funny but he didn't know what he was until one day somebody broke open a hole and a light shined and all he saw were critters bugs insects he didn't know the horrible condition he was in until the light shined on him it's like us the light shines on us. According to the will and purpose of God, the light shines on us. We don't want to stay there. Roach bugs in and out of our nostrils and 
spiders in our britches. We don't want to stay there. We want out. And the call of God that cannot be rejected. Come up here. I've come to get you out of that mess. We're drawn to the light. Nobody will stay there once revealed. Drawn to the light and now we come. And we bask in the light of the Savior. Who puts his freshness and his cleanliness upon us. And he saves us. And he makes us to be part of who he is. And we're in the family of God and he puts his Holy Spirit in us. Not only does he save us, he keeps us saved. And we bask and walk and live in the light of his love and in the light of his glory. This is the light. This is the gospel. We are lost without Christ. There is nothing. There, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Not a thing. Not a thing. Only Christ can save us. Unless and until he gives us a way out of this awful room filled with those critters, we won't be able to get out. He brings us out. We're saved by the power of Christ, kept by the power of Christ, raised from the grave by the power of Christ, carried into his kingdom, into the ages of the ages by the power of Christ, the love of Christ, the light of God. This is the essence of the ministry of the gospel. To testify concerning the light. That all might believe through the messenger who brings the message. The, the text is very clear. It's a reference to John the Baptist. So Romans 10. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think it starts around verse 13. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord be saved. How can they call upon whom they have not believed? Romans continues. How can they believe if they have not heard? Romans continues. How can they here, except there be a preacher. And how can there be a preacher except that he be sent from God? How beautiful the feet are those who proclaim good tidings, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've suffered from gout through the years. This foot is really ugly. The other one, it's the essence of loveliness, that other one is. <laughs> but this foot, you know where your big toe comes and there's this thing, there's this ball thing. 
mine through the years has grown. And it's made my toes to go the other way. And I'll wake up and I'll say, you stupid foot. It's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Now I can deliver with that foot. But that's not the foot that's beautiful. I'll try to keep my shoes on when I preach the gospel. How beautiful the feet of those who proclaim glad tidings, good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Right after that in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Powerful thing to bear the word of God, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be sent by God. So, it ends like this. He was not that light. John the Baptist wasn't the light. But that he might witness concerning the light. That's his job. That's my job. Listen. My job, John's job, every minister's job. Is not to exalt or glorify himself. What in the world can I do for you? Look at me. You follow the pattern of my life, you'll wind up fat and ugly, sore all over and whatever. But if you listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll live forever. It's not my job really just to offer the sacraments, to baptize you, to, the, to give you the Lord. My job is to witness concerning the light. I'm not here to psychoanalyze you or to be your financial consultant or anything else. I am here to bear witness to the light. To open the word of God and to share it, to teach it, to preach it brings a light that exposes, that empowers, that saves that provides illumination for my path and for yours. I'm not here for anything else but that. That if you don't know Christ, you might come to know Christ. And if you know Christ, you might grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you might grow in Christianity. That you might grow in your faith. Be stronger and stronger and yearn for him more and more every day. By bearing witness to the light. God saw the light. It was good. It was good. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
We make the appeal today. We make the invitation. You're invited to respond publicly in just a moment. Or if you want to speak about it, talk about it. We have deacons and wives waiting for you to come into the rooms across the hall and they will pray with you there as well. Only God can shine that light. May I say to you, when Christ came out of his pre-existence and entered into the agonital, he entered into the time-space continuum, he was, he was the light. And way on down there, in 1962, according to his will, on that day in March, the light that came from him shined on me. He came into time and he was in pursuit of me, knowing that I'd be born in 1951 and that he would let me experience life like that up until that day in March of 62. And then he would shine his light and he broke me down. And he caused me to be born again. He saved me. Maybe you're here today without Christ, I do not know. But if you would come to Christ today, it is a thing of God. It is not a thing of this service or of me or of singing or what, it's a thing of God. You're welcome to come in just a moment when we stand up and take me by the hand and just say, Pastor, I want to be saved. Let me pray with you. Or you may want to share that with a deacon and his wife as you leave across the hall. Maybe you're here and you need to come into the body of this believers, of these believers, this body of Christ here, Shiloh. The invitation is open for you. You can... Express that publicly, come to me. Or if you have questions, talk to the deacons and wives as you leave. The invitation is all inclusive. Father God in heaven, Lord, bless this invitation. Use it for your glory. There's nothing we can do here but just bear witness to the light, hoping that all will believe through the message. But Lord, we're powerless there. That's, that's your part. So we surrender to you now in this invitation. Use it as you see fit in Jesus' name. Prayerfully, would you stand all over this room?